session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, studio number 310-441-0555. Let me announce the book of the week. Again, I mentioned on Monday, it is The Science of Sin by Simon Laham. The Science of Sin, the psychology of the seven deadlies and why they are so good for you. So, so far, it's been an interesting read looking at some of the research related to the different seven deadly sins. And um, I'll talk about that book probably on Monday's show, although I might have a guest. If I do, then it'll be Wednesday's show. So, The Science of Sin by Simon Laham. Now, I wanted to talk today to start the show um, about an issue related to happiness, a very common topic on this show, but specifically how to be happier, what we can do with our money to make us happy. Now, we always hear that old adage, money doesn't buy, can't buy happiness. And overall, that is true. What we do see is that up to a certain point, once you get your basic needs met, uh, money can not really buy you happiness, but give you happiness or more happiness and that you have that security and comfort and don't experience as much stress uh, related to finances. So up to a point, it makes a difference, but then after a while, uh, it doesn't make a difference. So once you're comfortable, doubling your money won't make you any more happy. It won't make you double as happy. Initially, you might experience a good feeling uh, as you maybe can afford things you couldn't afford. But what happens is we tend to get used to the things we have. So if you had a certain car and then now you have a nicer car, at the beginning you'll be excited about the nicer car, but after a while you get used to it and you get used to your new lifestyle over time. So that's why we don't see this long-term effect. In the short term, you too see an effect. Now, even when it comes to using our money, sometimes people might wonder, okay, should I buy things, like get myself a new watch or some kind of clothes or car, or should I buy experiences? And sometimes the logic that many people have is, well, if you buy an experience, if you go to a concert, You go that night, and then it's over. So it's just a few hours. But if I buy myself a purse, I can keep that purse for a few years. And so I can use it every day for years, every few days. And so I get to hold on to that thing. So with that logic, many of us think that buying things is going to be a better use of our money in relation to our happiness and how we feel than buying experiences. However, research proves exactly the opposite. Research shows us that although you get to hold on to the thing and keep the thing, that maybe in a way is the problem with having things. Because again, as I mentioned before, we get used to them. So what they found is when they asked people 
who use their money both on experiences and people that use their money to buy themselves things, something to keep. Um, at the beginning, they were about equally as happy with the effect that it had on them. So it was about equal. But over time, the people who bought something, their satisfaction, their happiness went down over time. But the person who had the experience, now we think it's over, but because we had an experience, one, it can have an effect on us. It can change us. It can make us feel something that we carry with us. But you also have the memories of what happened. And looking back on that can be very important, very meaningful. Uh, the reason why I thought about this was over the weekend, I uh, was with my brother and my cousin. And um, my cousin, Pedram, he wanted to go to a concert, the Killers a band from Las Vegas, and we were in Las Vegas, and I have seen them and actually really do like the band, but hadn't listened to much of their recent music, so I wasn't, I was kind of on the fence about going with him, and I was a little bit tired and thinking of going all the way there. I was not sure, and I kept kind of leaning towards no, but then he kind of nudged me in the right direction, and eventually I said, okay, I'll uh, let's go. So I, I went with him, and I had such a great time, and I was screaming and yelling, maybe partially why my voice still isn't at 100% today from the weekend, um, and, you know, got to experience it with him, and we were having a great time, and it was it was incredible. I had a really, really good time. And while I was there, I remembered why I always try to remind myself that I should do more things like this, seeing live events, I'm having these experiences because I have a great time. But sometimes when it comes to making a decision to do it, we might feel like we don't have the energy or maybe it's not going to be that good, and we might skip out on it. So I was so happy that I uh, did that and that he encouraged me to go and we had a great time. And not only did I have a lot of fun myself and it was a great experience, but I also got to share that with him and me and my cousin who I, I love very much and have known since childhood and really is like a brother to me. We, we had a great time together. And now I'll always share that memory and those memories with him of when we were there together having a good time. So I, I'm really grateful I did that and it made me remember to talk about it on the show because very often people think of how to use their money and they're quite not quite sure. And we could talk about ourselves, but also when it comes to your kids, people, they think I want to have my you know kids have the best things and they spend so much money on them, the newest iPad, or I'll buy them Burberry clothes that they can only wear for two months and they're going to grow out of, but still I'll spend the money on them because we think somehow it's, you know, we want to give them the best of everything. And especially when it comes to clothes and kids and name brands, they, they have no idea what they're wearing. The most important thing probably for them is if it's comfortable or not, and then you know they're probably going to mess it up and, and spill things all over it. But we often take that same logic we use with ourselves that having things is going to make us happy and give it to our kids. But we should remember that what's going to make them happier, just like what's going to make us happier, is experiences. So rather than focusing so much on using your money on buying them new toys and new things, go on a vacation together or take them to an art class or a museum even. They don't have to even paint, but this observing the art or a sporting event or concert or something that's going to give them more of an experience rather than just a thing they can have. Things don't really make us happy. And to me, this even goes deeper just in our relationships. When you think about getting gifts, um, the value of them can matter, of course, but the thought makes it more of an experience, more of something that you feel the person thought about you and got the gift. The thing itself tends to, to go away. And with Valentine's Day coming up, even you can buy your partner experiences. Yes, 
the roses and chocolates and things that people tend to buy might be something you'll get anyway, but think about an experience you can get for them, maybe even like a massage or um, tickets to something they like. That's much more meaningful than yes, buying things. And so we want to focus on that, how we can use that in our own life. So it's really interesting, this paradox that we have, this idea that things will make us happy. And most people, when they think about um, what they want to do when they get money, they mostly think about things they want to buy, not experiences. And of course, I want to make it very clear, experiences don't have to be bought. Going for a walk can be an experience, or going somewhere that you want to see can be an experience, and it might not cost you money to get there. But just keep in mind that things are going to make you less happy than experiences that you you can have and you can share with other people. And so you're looking ahead. I hope people will plan accordingly to plan their life in that way. Uh, it's something that I'm trying to remember too, because we forget these things. We experience it and sometimes we'll forget how good it was or how much more enjoyable it was. We think that buying things is going to make us feel better or feel good, but that's not necessarily the case. So money doesn't buy happiness, but how we use our money can contribute more to how we feel. And if we use it towards things like experiences, we're going to feel uh, better overall in the long term. And that's something that we want to keep in mind. Let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi, you're on the air. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I actually had a kind of a general question. Um, I have uh, two sons, uh, and I just, my question is for the, like a 20, 21 year old college student. I'm pretty afraid of uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. to hard drugs. Um, again, he's pretty good, and I just, you know, I'm so concerned about all these uh, opioid addiction, everybody's trying, experimenting. My question was, as a, uh, you know, doctor, any suggestions what a parent can do? He's He lives far away from us, and I'm in constant contact with him, but I just want to get some general idea of what you recommend would be a good, you know, deterrent at, the, at that age, basically. So has he shown any signs or anything? Oh, that he, com- does sm- he does um, smoke marijuana every once in a while. Okay. I mean, other than that, you know, obviously nothing else. But again, uh, just my concern. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand your concern... Uh, any addiction is concerning. Opioid epidemic has become worse lately, but I guess not lately. For years, it's been that way. Uh, prescription medications of all kinds, even anti-anxiety medications, it's it's scary. And addiction is one of those things that, unfortunately, once it takes hold, once someone is dealing with addiction, it's very hard to deal with. It doesn't really go away. Most right. people would say that it's something that kind of becomes a lifelong thing. So it is scary and obviously you just hope your your child or anyone you care about, and of course even yourself, wouldn't fall down that path and then have to just be on the road of recovery the rest of their life. But as far as what you can do, really what you can do is probably everything you've done up to this point, which is 
try to raise sons who have good heads on their shoulders, and then they're going to make the decisions for themselves. Because uh, not everyone who experiments does become an addict. Most people don't. I can understand you're, you would not want them to, but really you can't stop them from, from what they're going to do or not do. You know, if you try to you know, send them articles every day of look at the, the, the risks of addiction or the problems or what's going on, it's probably not going to make a difference and it's just going to make them more distant from you. So, you know, you could talk to them about it and try to have an open relationship, but I don't think there's much you can do to control what they're going to decide to do. It's going to be up to them now. Are they twins? You said they're ones... No, right? no, uh, they're not twins. Okay. They're, the older one is fine, but just a 21-year-old, um, you know, again, um, just uh, just general questions of how what a parent can do. I mean, they are pretty aware of the dangers, obviously, and, mm-hmm. but um, that concern about the peer pressure, you know, all, all that that the kids do at that age. Sure. Is there any addiction in your family? No. No, okay. absolutely Or their not. father's it's, side? No. Okay. No addiction that's... and, you know... Um, None of that, but I, again, I'm personally very uh, afraid, paranoid about because it's it's such a horrible disease and it's so widespread. So mm-hmm. I'm just you know trying to keep a lot of communication open and you know have them talk to us and all that about the problems issues. But again, it, it just um, it, I'm most mostly worried. I don't know how justified it is, but I am as <laughs> as a mom. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm I can worried. hear that part. I can hear that you're clearly worried and anxious about about them and what they decide to do and maybe even more the younger one especially with the younger one now out of the home you might be experiencing some of the empty nest syndrome feeling where you're so used to dealing with something with them but now there's not much for you to do when it comes to to parenting them you know there you did your work and now you see what happens of course you keep your relationship with them but you're not really raising them so much anymore they're going to be living their own lives now yeah. Do you feel like, did you experience that where there was an emptiness? With, I'm sure there was some, but um, were you able to pick up the emptiness by, by filling your own life with things? Yeah, no, I'm pretty busy, and he's been gone for about two years now. Both of them been gone for, you know, the youngest one left about two years ago. And I've been pretty busy, and, uh, you know, I, nothing really like that, but I just, uh, again, uh, maybe I'm just worried myself. Mm-hmm. I'm just over-worried about everything. And the newest one seems to be this issue, so. Okay. So you say worry, I mean, is that something you deal with a lot, worries, anxiety? Um, I think so, yeah. Okay. So we yeah. can maybe talk a bit about that, because, yeah, I do feel like you're, you're very worried about, and, you know, this is one of those things that you're asking me what you can do, but it looks like there's not much you can do. So right. the less you think about it, the better, because it's out of your uh, circle of influence, so to speak. There's not much you can do about it. And so if you think about it, you're just going to worry yourself about something that you can't do anything about. Right. That's my issue with saying things. I worry about things that I really don't have much control over. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of my issues also. Okay. Have you, is that something you've worked on? Um, not really. I try to, again, um, you know, meditate. I try to, you know, do things, exercise, do things uh, that, uh, you know, relieves my mind and not to keep myself very busy with work and mm-hmm. other things that I do. But it just, it's, it's just general anxiety is there. I don't know what I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the meditation is good. Therapy can help. Of course, um, I wouldn't say you need medication, but when anxiety does become to that point, medication can help too. Usually an antidepressant is what would be prescribed. So 
there are those types of options. But I'm, I'm glad you're meditating and exercise. Those are two of the best kind of uh, things we can do that have no negative side effects that we have to deal with. So that's good. I would also recommend therapy, but it depends on how serious it becomes. No, it's not debilitating. Okay. It's not something that, you know, stops him. But I just want to, you know, uh, get that off him. But again, that's my newest concern is because I kind of try to read, like, you know, all the news out there and what's going on, and I try to, you know, it's for me, it's worst-case scenario. What if this? What if that? That's, that's where my mind mm-hmm. goes to. Yeah, and maybe because of that, it might be better for you not to read all those things because I get the feeling you have is you want to be um, <clears throat> like up to speed of what's going on, know what's happening. But you know, you can read articles all throughout my life. I remember they're like, "This is the new epidemic." You know, kids sniffing glue, kids doing this, kids doing that, and parents like freak out. Uh, yes, it's real. We want to be aware of what's going on. But if you keep looking at the worst case scenarios and if you look online, you'll always find some really horrible things to worry about. And even the way you describe it, and you say, well, this is the newest thing. It, like many people who deal with anxiety, uh, like a generalized anxiety, they always find something to be anxious about or worry about. Right. And almost their mind doesn't feel good unless there's something they're worrying about. So you'll find something new. So right, right now it'll be the drug thing, and then next it'll be something else, and you'll, you'll find something. But so I think the, the, the researching that you're doing... Although you might think it's you know being a good mom and, and helping your kids or being aware of the challenges or you know obstacles that might come their way, you're probably just going to be hurting yourself because there's not much you can do and you'll find some new things to worry about. And the internet will always give you plenty of things to worry about if you're looking for it. Right, but that does obviously makes me anxious and you know again think of the worst case scenario. So that's a that's an issue. But I did get my answer. Thank you very okay. much for your time, Doctor. Sure. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. So this idea of, uh, you know, parenting, and we talked about the empty nest syndrome, and that can be tough. And parents can have a few different periods or transitions that can be difficult for them that many parents struggle with. In particular, parents who enjoy the dependency or want to create a dependent relationship, or maybe even had a child to make sure they had someone in their life that they would never be alone, that they would always be needed. So when the baby comes to us, they're completely helpless. They have no ability to take care of themselves and they can't survive at all. Um, This is different than most other species. You look at, for example, a horse and they're born and they're walking that day and essentially can take care of themselves. And most animals can do that. As soon as they're born, they might need some help, but they can survive on their own much earlier than humans can. Uh, I remember reading some story of, I think it was a three-year-old or maybe four-year-old who was in a house and I think the parent had died and no one knew, but somehow this kid had survived for a few weeks by having food that was reachable, like by, you know, in the the lower cabinets and was able to survive. And that was really remarkable that like a three-year-old could survive. But in other animals, that's not something rare. Uh, Humans, because we have such big heads and because we walk on two legs, because we're bipedal, we have to have babies who are born very helpless or altricial. They can't take care of themselves because of that. And so we need to take care of them for a long time. And so when they're born, we have to do everything for them, literally. Feed them, change them. They, They really can't do anything. And even As they get older, they still can't do much. But when parents start to have a hard time is 
essentially when the child can actually walk becomes this first differentiation or separation that many parents can struggle with. Before they can walk, they have to move with us. We have to move them. They're completely dependent on us to move. But now that they can walk, they don't need us anymore to get around. And some parents could even have a challenge with this. They liked the feeling of always having the kid need them to even move, to be completely dependent on them. Another transition that happens a little bit after that is once the child can start saying no to us, which many parents struggle with or deal with, when the kid can finally disagree with us. It felt so good when the kid was always on our side, always agreeing with what we said, believing what we said, and not challenging us in any way. But then when that kid learns the word no, and very often when they learn it, they use it a lot because it's this exciting feeling, they start saying no a lot to their parents, and parents might not like that. Now, one reason why the kid starts to say no is part of their feeling or their development of their identity. They're recognizing that I am different from you. I am not you. We are connected in some way. You are my mom, you're my dad, but I'm not you. And so sometimes when they say no, the reason why they might be saying it so much is not because they actually disagree with you, but it's their way of saying, I'm not you. So you're saying something and they're saying no to emphasize that I'm actually realizing I have a sense of self. I am my own person. I am not just you. And so this is a big step in differentiation and one that we should be aware of and actually value that the child is able to say no and come into their own. Now, if you're a parent who values dependency and you feel any kind of separation as death because you need to be connected and uh, so deeply connected and interwoven that there isn't any separation or difference between you and your baby, you're going to have a hard time with this because you're not going to like your child saying, I'm someone different from you. We are not the same. I can see things differently. I feel differently. I like different things than you. So we have to allow our child to experience this separation. Say, okay, no, you see it differently. What do you want? What do you like? And not get hurt by the fact that they no longer agree with us. And then as they get older, children might go through different phases, but another stage of separation or individuation is adolescence. When they get to those teenage years, we see a big shift in how the children value opinions and whose opinions they value and who they want to spend their time with. Up to that point, although they maybe learned this word no, they still really want their parents' approval and attention and want to be loved by them and accepted by them. Now, they never want to lose that, but as they become adolescents and they enter those teenage years, they become much more focused on their peers, other kids their age, what they think matters, what they um, approve of or disapprove of matters. Fitting in with them is what they want. Their attention is what they want. And there's this kind of reaction towards their parents and that whole generation that you guys don't understand, you guys don't know anything, you guys are so old-fashioned and old-schooled, you don't know what's cool or what's right or what are the things of now. You're stuck in the past. And so teenagers want to spend a lot more time with their peers and a lot less time with their parents. And this can be difficult for parents too. I've seen it happen so many times. They say when, oh, when she was younger, she would go to the movies with us every weekend. She would go to dinner with us. She would do this. And now all of a sudden, she never wants to spend time with us. And they get really upset and they resist it. They start to tell the kid, no, you have to spend more time with us. You have to come to family dinner. You have to come to this. You have to come to that. But again, this is more for us, the parents, who want to keep that connection. We're afraid of losing our kid 
and less about them. It's not about actually what they need. What they need is to be with their peers, go through that process of identity formation, of figuring out who they are. This is why kids and adolescents, you see them color their hair and do various things are kind of experimenting because they still don't know who I am, but they know it wasn't you or it's not just my family of origin. I have to find my own sense of self and we have to give them that space. We have to allow for them to try different things and importantly to spend time more with their friends and less with us. I know a lot of parents, this can be very heartbreaking for them to lose that connection or that amount of quality time they spent with their kid. But if you fight it, the more resistance you're going to get. So you shouldn't force it. And again, if you're a, a parent who's trying to establish a dependent relationship with your kid, then you're not going to feel good about this at all and you're going to resist it. And sometimes I see teenagers, adolescents, even into young adulthood, and they spend all their time with their parents. And the parents think, isn't that great? Or they might talk about another kid. Look at so-and-so. He's always home with his parents every Friday night and Saturday night. And they think it's a good thing or a sign of how obedient and, and, and good that child is. But that's not a good thing. That kid needs to be out there with their friends, having experiences, meeting people, learning about themselves, learning what they like and don't like, and learning about who they are. The kid who's staying home with their parents every weekend night is not being a good kid, just like the three-year-old who never gets out of their chair and never moves isn't a good kid, even though we think that's what we want when we go to a dinner party is the kid who doesn't do anything, but that's not healthy. So you need your teenage kids to be out there to experience themselves, and we have to make sure, as we do every step of the way, when I'm wanting to spend more time with my child, when I'm wanting to be more connected or have us be more similar in some way, is it about me or is it about them? Because if it's about us, we have to let go of that and give that space to our children to have their own life. Our kids are not here for us. I think a lot of parents, they think their kids are their possession. And as I say, you don't own your kids, you owe your kids, meaning that you owe them to be a parent and give them everything you can as a parent, but they don't owe you anything back. And they definitely are not your possession to think, well, that's my kid, I want to spend Friday night with him. That's not how it works. You just owe them to be there for them and to raise them and give them love. And that's the way parenting goes. It's, much, it's very much a one-sided relationship. You give and give and give a lot. And of course, you get in different ways and you're, the way you feel and the experiences that you get. So of course, you get something out of it, but they don't give back to you in that same way and they're not supposed to. But sometimes when parents start with the wrong mindset and this idea that I'm going to get so much from having a kid, I'll never be alone because my kid always needs me. Well, that's a problem. And that's a big problem because if you're raising your kids to always need you, you're not really loving them because true love allows for your child to grow and to not need you. But dependent love, or what looks like love and its dependency, is I'm going to love you just in a way where you're going to always need me, so I never lose you, because I need you to survive. And that's the problem. So when we're in a dependent relationship, we feel such a need to keep the person close that we make sure they will always need us. And that's not love. To carry your child around for their whole life and never let them walk and say, it's because I love him so much, that's not love because you're not allowing him to grow his muscles and to become strong and also to be independent and to walk around on his own. So we have to give them that space to become who they are. So many parents have hard times dealing with the transitions that happen. 
And of course, uh, the last one is finally the child going to, going away from home, whether that's with college or whatever age that might be. But many parents are going to resist that one too, because that's an ultimate leaving. Now we're literally not physically in the same place and space, and many parents won't want to give their kids that space. And they'll make up excuses. Well, it's financial, or it's this, or it's that. And of course, there are financial reasons that sometimes uh, aren't happening. But very often, that's not the real reason. It's that we're afraid to lose them. We're afraid to not have them around. And as I spoke with the mother earlier today, and I'm happy to hear that she said her life is full, but we have to look at our own life. What, what else is going on in my life? Many parents have nothing going on other than my kids. And that's a problem. You need to have your own life. And especially as your kids get older, they need less and less of your time. And so if your life is empty, you're going to be pulling from them to give you more, to spend more time with you, to not be out as much, to not be with their friends as much. But if you fill your own life more socially and various activities, work, whatever else it might be, you're going to be a lot less dependent on them and you'll give them the space that they need too. So as a parent, we love, but we love in a way that allows our kids to get away from us, to be independent of us and to give them that space because that would they, that's what they really need. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. You're on the air. Uh, yes, hi, Doctor Holakui. Um, I'd like to apologize about my voice. I have a kind of a cold right now. That's okay. I'm kind of. I'm a little. My voice is a little bit sore too. So together, <laughs> we'll probably sound terrific. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, let me. Get, I'm having a problem with my phone here. Sorry. Okay. Um, yes, I called about. I'm calling about my son, who is um, 31 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, moved to Los Angeles uh, uh, as an intern um, for his dream job, uh, a company that he always followed for years and wanted to work for. And uh, unfortunately, the internship did not turn into anything permanent due to uh, budget cuts and stuff like that. He's a very talented writer. He loves writing uh, about uh, politics. And um, ever since then, which has been about two, uh, one and a half years now uh, that he stopped working at the company, he seems to have lost his motivation uh, in being in the real world um, uh, job market. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he has been also doing on the side is he's been having... Um, He's been act- having his own uh, podcast, which he has a ton of followers on, and um, he does that uh, as a daily thing. So he's always busy writing, uh, you know, uh, talking to people, interacting, and all of that, but uh, obviously not much of an income. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I try talking to him, and I try to... Uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of um, say it's okay, what you're doing is good because you are active. It's not like you're sitting around doing nothing. 
but I also want him to understand that he needs to get on his feet financially. And um, I don't seem to be getting anywhere with him. He does ask me to give him some time. Uh, I gave him a year, uh, which was six months ago. But I don't see, I personally don't see things going anywhere anytime soon. So uh, I don't want to pressure him and I don't want him to think that I'm losing, uh, you know, um, hope in mm -hmm. him. So um, what I need to know is how do I enforce the fact that he needs to be earning his own uh, ways and also... Uh, you know, both of uh, my husband and I were both, you know, a little bit older now, and that whatever, uh, you know, savings we have, we also need to use for ourselves later on. And uh, even though, uh, you know, whatever we have is going to end up being his, but I just want to make sure that he understands that he has to earn a living. Uh, and I think he understands it because he's very smart, but uh, he... He's sort of like maybe I don't know maybe when I have the these talks with him he seems like he understands and he says yeah I'm gonna do it I'm gonna look for jobs and then he sends a few resumes out and then when he doesn't hear back uh, he's just like he gives up yeah so I really don't know what am I not doing or you know what do I need to do to motivate him more to actually um, get him on because he does have a lot of talent. Uh, like I said, he's a very good writer, and he, you know, he actually is right now um, dating a girl who's in the same field and has a great job. He's making a ton of money, and I tell him, you know, why don't you get advice from her, and maybe she can help you get a job in the field. And he refuses to talk to her about it, um, hmm. which I can understand. But uh, anyway, that's my question. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of you know a lot of things going on. One thing is um, a lot of parents or even friends, family members deal with when they have a fr uh, someone they love has a dream, you know, dream job, dream career mm -hmm. that they're trying to get into. But of course, it's something that let's say is not very likely to get into. And you have this difficult balance of you don't want to tell them you don't believe in them because that's what they hear when they say we'll get a job and have a plan B or go down a different path. Um, so it's that balance of, okay, how do I let them know that without making them feel like I don't believe in them? Kind of like what you said. And that is difficult. And, you know, you can just, you have to let him figure that out. I'm not sure what that sound is. Sorry. There's... I'm not doing anything. Oh, really? Okay. There was some sound like, I don't know what it was. Anyway. Um, but related to that, you know, something you said, like we gave him a year, but that was six months ago. So you didn't give him a year. I mean, you gave him... You know, you said a year, but you gave him more than a year. And so if you want to talk to him about this, you have to be more consistent with what you say. So if you say, look, you know, we love you. We want, we do believe in you. We want you to achieve your goal. But also there's financial pressures that are going to be put on the family. And we want for you to be more independent. He might still take that as some kind of rejection or you not believing in him. Um, but just because he has a dream doesn't mean that everyone else has to put things on hold or that he can't take care of himself and still pursue his dream. You know, he, he can, he might have to do both. So I, I would say you can talk to him about what that path would look like. Now you, you can say, you know, we gave you a year, but it, that was six months ago, but we really want to make more of a plan 
with you. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you said he's smart, he understands him, you know, but no one, no one's going to have a hard time understanding what you said. Yes, you need to have your, pay your own rent. So that's not something that you need a high le- IQ or certain level of comprehension to understand. So he, he gets it, but he doesn't want to do it. And for whatever reason, whether it's he doesn't want to have to push himself in that way, he wants to focus more on his goal. And another thing that sometimes people in his shoes might experience is they might not want to take a lesser job or just take a job to pay the bills because they have this dream and sometimes it can even be a grandiose plan and they don't want to take a regular, quote unquote, regular job. And so he might kind of apply, but he probably isn't really trying because he doesn't want to have one of those jobs. Do you think that could be the case with him? He's had those kind of jobs in the past. And um, like I said, uh, I'm not to say that, you know, my son is any different than anyone else's son, but he uh, he was actually suffering doing those jobs. Uh, but what do you mean suffering? Because, because of the people that he was dealing with, the management and stuff. Uh, he's a very, actually, he's a very nice guy. He's a very good, he was always a very good kid. Never had any problems with him with drugs, alcohol, anything like that. So, uh, but he, I don't know, I, I think because of his knowledge and his background and what he knows, uh, it's kind of demeaning for him to be told, you know, uh, to do certain things maybe at work. I'm not sure. Well, but, but that's, see, that's the thing. That's what I'm talking about. If you, yeah. if you work, at Starbucks, they're going to tell you to make people coffee. And if you say that's demeaning to me, well, that's your, that is the job. And it's not demeaning. You're making coffee and that's your job. That's why I'm wondering if there is some of that grandiose feeling that who, who, how dare you tell me what to do, even though maybe that's his boss and the boss is supposed well, to tell him. he's always told me that he would prefer to work on his own and not have a boss. Sure. And many people would. Most people would. But what I'm saying is if you tell me he's trying to go get a job to pay the bills, he's going to have to accept that he that's not going to be the case. And he's going to do something that maybe he doesn't like very much. He's going to do something where someone's going to be his boss and telling him what to do and, and all of that. So even what you were saying reflects maybe how he thinks because of his knowledge and his background. Well, that that's great. But if you have a job that you're trying to get to pay the bills, you you have to take that job and accept the position uh, that it is. Well, the other question is, could it be because we have been very lenient with him and we've paid his way all the time? Well, yeah, that, you've probably made it too comfortable for him where he doesn't yeah, feel... that's what his friends tell him. <laughs> that's who what tell him? The, his friends? His friends tell yeah. him, you know, you have it easy and this and that, so maybe that's kind of what he thinks and... Uh, I mean, he. I've mentioned to him that you know financially things are getting tighter and tighter. Um, and is but, that genuine? Uh, is that really the truth? Well, yes, because okay. you know we have so, expenses yeah. that uh, well we've been paying for him and uh, you know ourselves. And neither his dad or nor myself are working. His dad is actually retired. Mm-hmm. So it's not like in the past where you know we both of us were making a good income. And um, uh, you know we, you know we've always tried to provide for him as much as possible. But I don't know where you have to draw the line. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be one of those parents who says, you know, this is it. Uh, uh, we're gonna stop paying for you, or we're gonna. He lives on his own, or we're gonna kick you out of your place, or whatever. I don't want to be that kind of a parent. I would like to 
provide for him as much as I can. If I know he's working towards a goal that I think I know he is, it's just that uh, what he's working towards is probably not going to um, come around for maybe a, a couple more years. Uh, and so I don't know what he's thinking, where his mind is. But uh, like I said, every time I mention it to him, and I don't want to hurt his feelings like you were mentioning, um, he says, okay, okay, I'll do something about it. And then uh, that's it. The next time I see him, we have the same discussion, the yeah. same thing happens. And, and you, you can have that for forever because it doesn't mean anything, yeah. right? I mean, what you're yeah. saying is just words like, hey, we want you to do something. So, okay, 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 yeah, I will. I applied to five places. You know, he, there isn't anything real happening. So... I think you'd need to have a real conversation. And I agree with you. I don't like the reactionary ultimatums. You know, we've waited so long. Now we're going to say by next month, have something and we're going to completely cut you off. I wouldn't say go that far, but I think it's important to have a, a genuine conversation with him about what's what's going to happen. Or It is putting a financial burden on us. And so we're going to have to start supporting you less and less. What's a plan we can come up with? And he has. you have to give him more responsibility for his life. He doesn't yeah. have to give up on his dream if he has a part-time job or he works somewhere, exactly. too. Yeah. You know, it can't be, you know, everyone who's chasing their dream doesn't have the luxury of just uh, no one else being no one else uh, being dependent on other people. And, you know, he might even be motivated more if he has to support himself more. Right now, he doesn't feel any fire of, you know, having to put a pressure on himself or having to do anything. So it's very easy, actually, for him to become more lazy. Because he doesn't have much, there's nothing motivating him. There's nothing he has to get to. There's no responsibility. But, but you see, what I've noticed is that he thinks that if he gets a job, he's doing it for us. Because last time I mentioned it to him, he said, you know what, okay, I'm going to go get a job, which I hate, just to get the, the two of you off on my back. And that's not what I want him to think of when he's going to look for a job. Well, yeah, um, and I, I would, you know. Active, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's act exactly. I mean, you want him to be taking care of himself. Like you want him to be yes. independent for him, not for you guys. Yes, and he's at an age where he's, you know, he's he's dating seriously now with other, you know, with uh, women, and and you know, he needs to have a job to show that he's making an income. And no matter how rich his parents are or how much you know uh, money he has at hand, I, I think uh, he needs to understand that. Uh, he needs to be in the society. He needs to be accepted as a as an active uh, member of the society. Yeah, and it's not even just all that. I mean, he just you know this is about him for himself. You're kind of even what you're saying exactly. is for other people. While he's dating, what is the girl going to think? What is society going to think? But I'm saying he needs to walk on his two feet because that's better for him. And I think yeah. unfortunately he's gotten used to this idea that you guys. Almost that he deserves for you guys to just take care of him the rest of his life. And that's not good for him. You know, this goes back to what I was talking about a bit before of when we love our kids, we love them in a way where they can go away from us. They can survive without us. They don't need us. And he still needs you at the age of 31. And he expects that it, as long as he needs you, he should be there. And that if he has to work, it's somehow like you guys are being mean to him. And that concerns me even about his mindset that it does... There is this kind of a, a narcissism in how you're describing him, that he expects that everything should be taken care of for him and that he shouldn't work somewhere where someone tells him what to do and, you know, someday his dream job is going to come. There's some kind of a, 
this like grandiosity in, in what you're describing that I think actually isn't good for him. He's not, he's not really living in reality. I'm not saying he's not talented and there's no potential, but there's a way that he's a little bit caught up in this idea that I'm, I'm, I deserve so much. I'm basically that I'm already a star, you know? Exactly. And, and, you know, uh, he only checks that uh, same company that he worked for. Uh, he only checks their website for their opening. And whenever there's an open, he applies for it and, uh, he hasn't gotten anything yet, but, um, I think what I'm, but I, from what you're saying, I, I now, you know, I now understand that maybe this is something that we planted in him. Uh, I don't know as a child, but he's always worked, not always, but whenever he was not in school, he worked uh, ever since he was 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old. So it's not like he's lazy and he doesn't want to work or anything like that. He just wants that dream job and that's it yeah and i'm not saying necessarily he's lazy but that's kind of where the grandiosity comes in it's like that or nothing and right now he has nothing and you know realistically you you can't survive on nothing you know his parents are still paying for him at 31 but he's not taking any responsibility for his own life because of this dream and that's that's what i'm saying when you say the way you described him at work and the way you're describing him now there is this feeling of grandiosity and i think he he needs to actually come back to earth now if it's more yeah. serious, like a personality disorder, which I'm not saying he necessarily has, then that's going to be even harder and he's going to need even more help. But nonetheless, there is this feeling that he's not really connected to reality. Even you're saying he's dating this girl, but it almost seems like he doesn't tell her what's going on in his life so much or he's embarrassed no, to tell she her. Knows, she knows about his life, but when it comes to me asking him, why don't you consult with her and see because she has a job in the same field, Maybe she can help you with your resume. Maybe she has some connections. She can He goes, no, mom, it's just too soon. I don't want to discuss that. Okay. Well, I don't know how long they've been dating, so it could be that it's too soon. I mean, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to get advice. But, you know, I just say, you know, be aware that by giving him less, you're not necessarily loving him less, which is how a lot of parents can feel. So by giving him less and letting him know we want to make a plan, for you to be more on your own, that's not being less loving. Now, I would say, like I said, give him time. Don't say it's going to be next month, but really be serious. And what now what's important for what you do is you have to be consistent or stand by what you say. Because you said one year, 18 months ago, and so here we are. But if you say something, you have to really follow that plan as hard as it is. And he's probably going to pull for you not to follow it and say, okay, well, one more month, or I think I'm getting this job you know, in a couple of weeks, so can we just pay my rent one more month or whatever it is. He's going to probably extend that. And you have to be firm with what you tell him or else he's not going to want to follow through because you've shown you won't follow through. Yeah, actually the deadline started six months ago. Before then we were just paying for him. But um, now it's been only six months since I gave him, I mean, not an ultimatum, but I, you know, he told me, he said, Uh mom, just give me a year. Now, do you think self-confidence or self-esteem might have anything to do with the fact that he doesn't think he can make a living out there by doing what he does? Well, it's possible. I mean, you know, self-esteem could be this interesting thing because sometimes when we don't have enough self-esteem, we compensate by, in a way, showing we have too much. So if there is that grandiosity I was talking about, it could come from some low self-esteem, but it's an inflated ego that he kind of makes it that he's better than to work in a, a certain type of job or to have a boss. So it could be some of that. It could be related to that, but in an interesting way. It could be his self-esteem 
being low might keep him from actually getting the job not because he's not sure he can make it but because exactly. he has to be you know do something that's better or larger this is beneath him but really that's yeah. coming from a low sense of self-esteem and you know not realizing reality right now is that he might have to work and do a job yeah. that he doesn't like or love but he could do that and try to keep his dream alive and i don't think he needs to give up on that i'm not suggesting that at all yeah. but that he has to be more balanced and recognize that he he has to have some responsibilities for himself too right he writes articles uh, for various uh, organizations and companies but he doesn't get paid and he and when i ask him why don't you ask to get paid he says well mom they don't pay anyone i just, i'm just writing for them mm -hmm. so do you think that also comes from lack of self-confidence well it could i mean i don't know enough about his field to say that or what he's doing to say that he should get paid or this is expected or not is it possible? Yes, but it's hard for me to really comment on that because I don't yeah. know if he should be asking for money or if he shouldn't be. But, you know, for me, the important thing is your role is going to be to to pull back a little bit and give him more responsibility in his life. Be ready that he's not going to like it. He might yeah. take that again as a re rejection of his talent or his ability or you not believing in him. You can let him know how you feel. But we got to give him more responsibility or else he's not going to be able to grow. Again, it's for his own good in the Absolutely. long term. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for your, your call. I, I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Have a good day. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. We're reaching our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hello hello yes hi you're on the air hi how are you good thank you thanks for calling so i have a 16 month old daughter and i'm having a few different issues with her um she's not comfortable with staying with anybody but me or my husband mm -hmm. um and i think part of it is I'm still breastfeeding, and I'm, we're co-sleeping as well. So she sleeps in the bed in between us. And if I leave her with anybody, my mom, um, her aunt, her, her uncle, whoever it is, she just starts screaming and yelling. Even in the house, when they come into the house, uh, she thinks I'm leaving her. And she just, like, sticks to me and... She's just going through a lot of, like, separation anxiety. But this has been going on for, like, probably since she was, like, seven, eight months now. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking it's a phase and go away, but it's not. Well, I think, you know, the, the co-sleeping could be an issue. Um, already, I think at 16 months, it'd be, it'd be better for her to be in her own crib. Have you guys tried that? So that's another thing. How do I, I don't know how to get her into her own crib anymore at this point, especially since I'm breastfeeding. Yeah. And I, I breastfeed through the night as well. So the only way I could kind of stay sane during the day is if I do co-sleep. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you're paying a price for that, that you're realizing that all of it might be, it's kind of on the later side, the co-sleeping, the breastfeeding, um, it's causing a problem that, she's also becoming very dependent on you and your husband. And yeah, so yeah. you can't really give her, she can't really tolerate space from you guys. But also it seems like you're having a hard time tolerating space from her too. Yeah. 
I could see it too. Yeah, I'm not. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Any ways you recommend? Because uh, everybody I've spoken to says to just I have to sleep train her. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the sleep training where they cry for long periods of time. Yes, it's you know for for a while is okay, and I'm not an expert on sleep training, so I'm not going to uh, give you too much on that. But you do need to make that a focus with your with your husband and realize it's going to be a challenge that this is an issue because uh, also with the breastfeeding, I'm is she eating other foods too? Yes, she does eat other foods, but okay. she doesn't take a bottle. So if I don't breastfeed, then she's not getting any sort source of milk. Uh huh. When, so when you give her a bottle, she doesn't take it at all? No, she hasn't taken it since birth. <laughs> okay. Well, as she gets older, that could change. I mean, now she's a little bit older than when she was very, very young. But these issues, you know, it, it seems like the dependency, I was actually talking about it earlier on the show, sometimes parents, they themselves want too much closeness with their kids. They don't give them the space. And so that's something that I think you really want to look at. Is this more for me or for my my daughter who I can hear in the background um, yeah. is it more about me or her and you have to be ready that she's not going to like some of the separation but you have to give her some of that space and be ready for her to initially not like it because it feels so good to be in bed with mommy and daddy but um, that we have yeah. to give her that that space because it, we're not allowing so her I, to grow yeah no I get what you're saying I agree yeah um, I am attached to her just as she's attached to me I guess Sure, and you always will feel an attachment to her. That itself is not bad. It's just the dependency that you might be creating. That's something that you want to be aware of because that's that's something that can continue as she gets older. That is she your first child? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and so this feeling that you don't want space from her, but as she gets older, especially space from you is actually that's the way you love her. Maternal love is this really, in a way, it could be seen like as bittersweet, but you love her in a way where she goes away from you. You know, you have to give her that strength that she can go away and not need you and not be around you, which can be tough because, of course, you love her so much. But that's the genuine yeah. love is giving her that space. So I, I think that's something I'm feeling with the breastfeeding at 16 months and the co-sleeping still. And I get what you're saying logistically with the breastfeeding. It makes it a lot easier if she's sleeping in the bed. But we have to think about what the cost is. And also she soon should be sleeping through the night. But she might even want the breast milk more for the comfort of it than actually being hungry or needing it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So what are some ways that you recommend I, I get her out of the bed and off wean her off of the breastfeeding? Well, the, I'll be honest, I'm not an expert on the weaning itself and the, the getting out of the bed, so I don't want to give information that I really uh -huh. can't stand behind. So I would definitely talk to pediatrician and pe people about that. But of course you have to start giving her more other food. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be tough because you've created a, a type of habit for her that every night goes this way. And when you change that, she's not going to like it. So we have to be ready, ready for that. But with the co-sleeping, you have to just be with her until she's sleeping in her crib and you stay with her and you could even be next to her, keep your arm on her for a while and give her comfort and see how that goes. Does she ever fall asleep? Like even to take a nap during the day, I'm assuming she sleeps in a crib or somewhere separate. Um, it's, it's on a mattress in her room. Okay. She won't sleep in the crib. She gets claustrophobic in the crib. I could tell. Hmm. She doesn't like how there's, there's bars around her. So 
I've moved her to the floor. Okay. Like for her daytime naps. Okay. Uh, I guess that could work. I think the crib is something most babies I know of can get used to it, even if they don't initially like it. So you can play with her in the crib or, you know, kind of make the crib a safer place. So even during the day, play with her. Um, even if you can open one of the sides, have it open and go sit next to her something or sit by her. So you can make the crib a less scary space for her over time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to, you know, you have to be ready that this is going to be tough. And this is why um, we try to say follow the guidelines as much as you can because once you get stuck in these kind of habits, they get harder to break. Habits are easier to form than to break. And so once you have them, it's going to be tough. So you're gonna have yeah. it's gonna be a challenge right now, but be ready for that and, and take it seriously because obviously you can't have this happen uh, forever. We need to work on it. And it's gonna be difficult at the beginning, but you can make that happen. Okay, um, sorry. One last thing. Sure. So, do you think I should try to get her on the bottle or pacifier now? I mean, I'm I'm attempting to, but. People are telling me that it's just too late and I shouldn't even attempt it anymore. Well, I wouldn't say, I don't know why you wouldn't attempt it. You can see if that would work, and especially because of the breastfeeding. My guess is she might want a pacifier for a while because she's had that comfort for 16 months. So it's very likely she will. She probably would prefer you to the pacifier, but when you're weaning her, she might need that. So I wouldn't say totally give yeah. up on, on those things because they can... Help. And I know you're saying she's never taken a bottle, but as she gets older, it's very likely she will because as she gets older, sometimes kids drink juice out of a bottle or they drink other things uh, out of a bottle. So I wouldn't give up on, on those things. It's not, it's not that it's too late. But again, she's so used to you, she prefers that to those things. And so slowly you're going to be giving her less of that. And I'm sure she hears me and she doesn't like what I'm telling you, but you have to give her a little bit less of those things she wants and soon she'll get used to that. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Have a good day. Okay. Right. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. You're listening to In Session with Doctor Fatty Lockwee. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hello yes hi you're on the air yes, me. yes i am and your voice is coming a little bit uh quietly if you can speak a little louder oh, okay uh, follow our conversation like last week i uh, regarding my daughter mm-hmm. yes i remember you called if you can remind remind me and the listeners about the situation briefly if you can about make a decision that, yeah. you know, move to the Sorry, let me stop you there for a second. We're still having a hard time hearing you. I don't know if we're on speaker. Uh, no. Okay, if you can talk more directly into the, the speaker, we're, we're having a hard time hearing you. I hear the echo too, myself. I don't know what happened. I'm not sure what it is. If you could speak more loudly, though, that would, that would be good. Is that better? A little bit, but even more loudly would be good because it's still hard to hear you. Okay, is that better now? Yes, that's much better. Okay. Um, you know, I want to make a decision to move to another state or mm-hmm. not. 
when I moved, it, uh, when I moved, the situation is going to get much better for myself regarding my job and regarding the kids. But for my daughter, she's very stable here. She's at a cheerleader at school, and mm-hmm. she's in the ninth grade. I am afraid if I move to another state, um, you know, she she cannot be in a situation that she is right now because she's achieving to go to nationals and, you know, competition uh, to different states. But when we move to California, she she has to start from zero or she's never get to the situation that she's on. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I just go back and forth because sometimes I'm thinking, you know, this decision is going to be good for her future, but I'm afraid, you know, it's, it is very difficult for me okay. because... Work like a longer sheet. And How I, old is she? She is 14. She's 14. in her ninth grade. Okay. And besides that, I have 10 years old too. Mm-hmm. I'm a single mom. But if I move to California, the dad is going to help me and the kids. And, you know, I'm just thinking, what should I do? Yeah. Okay. And have you talked to her about it? Yes, I did actually. Okay. But she said, you know what she told me? Actually, after you told me, talk to her. I talked to her. Mm-hmm. And she told me, Mom, I don't know. You're the adult. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, she didn't resist too strongly. I would talk to her some more about that because her saying that we don't know if it's really that's how she feels. She doesn't care that much or if she feels like she has to do what you want to do or to make you happy. So I would have a conversation with her and be ready for her, almost invite her to tell you what she wouldn't like about moving because you might have a tendency to want to ignore that or deny that because you don't want that to be an issue or you'd rather it's not an issue. So you have to invite her to let you know what concerns you about us moving or what would worry you about us moving or what would you not like about us moving to, to let her share those negatives and then have a conversation with her. Yeah, she agrees, you know. But, you know, I, I know I'm not definitely for sure it's very difficult to adjust a new environment because mm-hmm. she had a hard time to find a good friend, and now she is in a, in a very good friend that I like them. I'm very comfortable with their family. Uh, you know, this is a huge part of my shooting mind that she's around with the good people Uh but when i moved to california i'm not sure you know i'm not sure which one uh you know do i need to choose my comfort or her comfort yeah i may earn my comfort but she's losing her comfort i'm sure she will because she's very picky to find a friend you know she's a cheerleader she may not accept it to the California one of the schools, high school, to be a cheerleader. And, uh, you know, that, that is my concern. Well, I mean, what what's going to happen? We can't obviously predict who her friends are going to yeah. be, what she's going to do. That's going to be up to her. And you you have to, to let her, you know, figure that out. So you can't make that decision. Did you have a question today about the situation? Because she's in a team, she's very active, she's in gymnast for nine years. 
but uh-huh. now uh, over there, I'm not sure she can get to the tree at high school or. Well, okay. And then, are you afraid she's going to resent you or be upset with you for that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's why you have to talk to her about this more. Yeah, I will. I, I'm glad you opened the discussion and lots of things like this. And in general, it's not going to be one conversation is enough. One conversation might just set some groundwork or make it something that we're going to talk about. But now you have to have more, a little bit more deep conversation with her. And like I said, you know, you, you obviously care a lot, but you're also, I think, worried that she's going to be negative about it or not like it. And so you might not want her to share those things. But I want you to invite her to tell you what, what she's worried about or what she doesn't like. Or you could even ask her, say, you know, I thought about this. And I know how hard you've worked to get to where you are when it comes to cheer and moving might jeopardize that or makes it a little bit different. What do you think? What do you feel about that? So have those conversations with her because you could, I can't tell you what she thinks. She might tell you, you know what, mom, I'm okay. Not, or you know what, that would devastate me to lose that. And if I couldn't get that, that would make me so sad, but maybe I'm okay with it. So you have to ask her, have that conversation okay. with her. Yeah. I did. I did. She said, mom, you're the mom. I know, but that's about making the decision. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the decision. I'm talking about how she even feels about the decision. So I'm saying have conversations to say, okay, you know what? I, you know, yes, I am the mom, but I want to make sure, first of all, that you and your brother, your input matters to me a lot. And also what you feel. So even if we do move, I want to know what you're thinking. And it's since you keep bringing up this cheer thing, I would ask her about that. Uh, as far as friends go, well, yeah, it's nice that she has good friends and parents worry about their kids picking, quote-unquote, bad friends or bad influences as friends. We can't predict what's going to happen. You have to trust that she'll make good decisions if you guys move. And, and it's tough. It'll be hard. You know, coming 10th grade into a new school will be hard for her. But you're saying you, you think she can manage it, but you want to show her that you care about what she's going through. So you open up the conversation good. But by no means would I consider what you had with her as a even really a conversation. It sounds like she just made a comment like, Mom, you're the parent, you're the adult, you figure it out or you decide. Okay, that's good. But I think you need to have more of actual back and forth conversation and, and let her express. Because it seems like you keep worrying, but you worry in your own head, but you're not going to know. You have to ask her what she's feeling. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Good luck. Thank you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, so, you know, this idea, the conversation, I, I'm glad she brought up that issue. I'm a big fan, it sounds almost funny to say that, of uncomfortable conversations. I say that even when I myself experience them as unpleasant or uncomfortable. So I don't say them because they're easy, but we have these conversations that are hard because they're meaningful and because they are worth it. And so often uh, in my own life and people around me and definitely when it comes to therapy, you see that people are avoiding these very important but necessary uh, uncomfortable conversations. How, how can I bring that up to him? Or how can I say that to her? Or how can I talk about this? Or, you know, it's going to feel so awkward. And I think, unfortunately, the younger generation in some ways is becoming worse at this. Uh, we're avoiding things more because of texting and other ways of communicating that become more prevalent, that it's a lot easier to avoid important conversations. It's easier to not have them. So what we have to realize is when it comes to having a relationship, it can't survive without uncomfortable conversations. It can't thrive and be strong without some conversations that aren't going to be easy. Talking about how you feel about the relationship, 
talking about things like the sexual relationship and how that's going, talking about what you wish you had more of in the relationship or what you wish there was less of in the relationship. These things are very, very important and very difficult to talk about, but we have to talk about them. And you have to make it not just uh, something you do here and there, but a mindset that you have, especially in relationships and romantic relationships, that we're going to make this part of the culture of our relationship, that we talk about things, that we don't shy away from having these conversations. And you can ask yourself, what are we afraid of? Yes, they are uncomfortable, but very often we're afraid of what we're going to hear. If we ask our partner, what is it that you're maybe unhappy about in this relationship? Or what is it that I do that you don't like? Or that if I did more, you would like? And very often we're afraid to hear what our partner has to say, because what if they say we're really letting them down or we're not being enough for them in some way or another? But what we have to recognize is even if our partner says, when you do this, it bothers me, or I'm not happy about this part of our relationship, it's not something we have to take personally as some kind of personal attack or as a characterization of us as a bad partner in some way or a bad person. It just means something about our relationship isn't quite clicking, isn't quite working out, or we're not giving them something that they want, and maybe we can give them that. We can make that change that they want. It's just like if you're cooking for someone and they say, you know, you can ask them, do you like the food or you didn't like it? And now they say, oh, I didn't like this. Can you add more of this? Take away more of that. The same thing is true in a relationship. It doesn't mean you're a bad person if they don't like something. It just means they want things to change. But we have to invite our partner to share those things with us. Very often people are afraid to bring up something they're unhappy about in a relationship. Oh, I'll just deal with it on my own. Or maybe it'll go away. Or maybe I'm making it too big of a deal. Every relationship has issues, so let me just not bring it up. Or we can say we got to pick our battles. And some research actually showed that this idea that some people have, and many people have, that you know the happy couples... They don't bring up everything and make it a fight. They ignore a lot of things or they pick their battles, so to speak, and just move on. But what they actually found in, in some research is that the couples that were happiest were actually more likely to bring things up. Their threshold for bringing things up was lower. So something had to bother them only a little bit before they would bring it up, not that they would wait till it bothered them a lot. So... You have these conversations and when you bring something up, it doesn't have to be an argument and a huge blowout where it's, you know, uh, painful and you say mean things. You just bring it up in a calm, nice way and let them know you're unhappy about something in the relationship or something they did. And you talk about it. And the more you have conversations like this and realize that they can go well, they become a little bit less scary. When you and your partner can trust each other that we can talk about things and not lose our heads and get too heated... Sometimes you will, of course, but that a lot of the times we can just talk about things and it can be okay. And then you'll feel a lot more comfortable bringing things up next time. But of course, if every time you bring something up, it becomes ugly and it becomes a fighting, a shouting match and there's fights and all this, you're going to be a little bit more scared to bring it up. So the couples that bring things up do much better than those that hold things in. Because when you hold things in thinking, I'm picking my battles, I'm not going to make things a big deal. Those feelings don't go away. You don't just stop feeling those things. And especially if it's something that's continuing in the relationship, it's some kind of pattern or something that your partner regularly does or something that they don't do that you wish they would. Well, of course, that resentment is going to start to build 
and it'll build and build to the point where you at some point blow up. And this is what many couples do. They finally say something. They avoid the uncomfortable conversation, but instead they have this horrible conversation where they say, oh, you've been doing this for three years. I can't believe it. And then they go off for 10 minutes and the other partner has no idea that this was even an issue to begin with because they've never brought it up and they're really shocked. And that kind of conversation rarely goes well. It usually becomes just a fight. They might become defensive or they might attack back and it's not going to go well. So holding things in as much as we might think I'm doing this to help my marriage, it's doing exactly the opposite. You are actually hurting the relationship by not bringing up the issues, not letting you and your partner work things out, not letting you guys talk and say, okay, let's talk about this and resolve it and make things better. Or at least even if we can't fix it completely, at least I, I know that you understand how I feel. And that in and of itself can be helpful to our relationship and also me feeling a little bit better. At least you get it, even if you're having a hard time making that change. So again, the uncomfortable conversations, we have to have them. And the more you have them, the less uncomfortable they become. And the more you avoid them, the more you're hurting your marriage. So if you, and if you have a partner who you can't have those conversations with, that should be a pretty bad sign. You have to be able to talk about these things. And if they either can't handle them or they can't handle you or whatever it might be, that's something that tells us something's not right in the relationship. And rather than ignoring that and being in denial, we have to face that and say, hey, maybe something's not right here. And either we have to work on it or maybe we're not right for each other. But if we can't talk about some simple things or some disagreements or things that we're unhappy about, that's really bad sign for, for this relationship. All right, we're going into our last commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Duakwi. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Holakwe. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Sure. Um, so I just had a general question, and I'm not sure if you would need additional information to answer my question. Okay. But it's been a while, about maybe a year, that I've been so sensitive to the noises around me. And basically, I don't know if this is the right word for it, but I startle. Mm-hmm. And even if somebody is passing by, I, I just all of a sudden notice that person and I feel this pain that goes from my heart to my hand. Mm. And it's so, so uncomfortable. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, how old are you? 32. 32. Okay. Now, people can have different levels of arousability or, you know, sometimes how easily they startle. Um, but if you're saying it's been just a year, that makes me curious as to what's happened over the course uh, or around that time. So did anything significant happen about a year ago that you noticed this change around that time? Um, actually, I didn't notice that I get so scared easily. And my friends were telling me I didn't even make a noise and you're just jumping all of a sudden. Hmm. Okay. So I don't know exactly if really exactly started a year ago. It was more than that time. Yeah. 
Okay. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, as I was saying, you know, if it's people can have different just baseline feelings as far as when it comes to arousability, but a very big thing to look at is something like PTSD, which makes people hypervigilant. So that's why I was wondering if anything significant happened to you, and, and I guess maybe not just a year ago because you're not sure how long this has been going on, but would you have anything that you experienced that might be like a trauma? Um, yes, maybe, but are you talking like any kind of a situation that would have been a trauma? Well, it could be anything. Yeah, I mean, traumas can range from a lot of different things. What were, what came to your mind? Well, there was a time that um, I went through a really hard time in my life, in my personal life, and um, I'm not sure if that was the reason. It was possible. Did, did you experience anything where you felt either in danger or hurt really bad? Okay. Now, I don't know if you don't want to talk about it. I want to respect if you don't want to talk about it. But if you do, please let me know what, what that is. Um, I made a huge mistake in my life. And I regretted it so bad. And after that situation, I was literally call it, crying for like maybe three, four months. Hmm. And... Um, I'm not sure if that was the reason. There have been there have been so many things in my life, so that's the most recent one that I can think of. Okay. Um, now it's hard for me to tell without you saying what it was, but it's possible that you at some point experienced something that was a trauma, um, and one of the symptoms of PTSD is to have a hypervigilance. So you're going to startle more easily. So you hear a sound and your body reacts more quickly, kind of goes into the fight or flight mode a little bit more easily than it would normally. You know, it's like your body's ready mm -hmm. to, to kick in because of that, that threat that you experience, that trauma you experience. So it, it seems like you have a hard time pinpointing how long this change has been or when it started, but it's possible that something related to an experience you had in the recent years has contributed to that. Okay. And now what I can do about it. Well, so it's not, you know, one thing also you, you might as well, always a good idea to get a medical test. Sometimes the thyroid, I think, can be involved with hyperarousal. I think it's in particular hyperthyroidism. Um, but you might want to get a medical checkup anyway, just to see if anything is going on medically, uh, you know, that, that might be related to this. But I'd also, the way you just talk about your own life, it seems like there's been a lot of pains because you can't even pinpoint which one might be the one that might be related to this. Um, so, of course, seeking therapy, it would always be a good idea. Have you gone to therapy before? Um, I've been for a couple of sessions, but then I gave up. Okay, a couple, yeah. Well, a couple of sessions is really like, um, you know, just getting the anesthesia before you even start surgery, you know, not doing the surgery itself. So that wouldn't be much of a start. But I think I cut you off. You were saying you went for a few sessions and stopped because... Because um, right away they gave me some medication, and those medications made me so nervous throughout the day. Huh. Do you and I feel I'm better off without the medication rather than, you know, just trying to deal with it and work on myself. Sure. What kind of, would you know what medication they gave you? 
I don't even remember. Okay. This was born for like five years ago. Okay. So what? There was one thing that was helping me in certain trials. That's okay. Um, one was for getting more sleep, and the other one, I'm not sure what was it for. Okay. Well, so uh, you know, I'm I'm not suggesting necessarily you're going to need medication. Um, but maybe you saw a psychiatrist and not a therapist or a psychologist, and medication could be helpful at some point, but I would want you to go see a therapist and work on the pains that you have from your past. And even the way you talk about them, I feel that it's there. Um, there's also things like meditation and exercise that would be good, especially meditation, because that can have an overall calming effect. Sometimes they say it could even uh, reduce the reactivity of the amygdala, I'm not quite sure if I can say that's for sure, but nonetheless, it can be calming over time, which would be kind of the opposite of what you're experiencing. So you become more calm rather than more reactive. Have you tried meditation before? No, I haven't. Okay, so I'd highly recommend that because that can play a big part. And meditation, kind of like with therapy where it takes time, just be ready that it takes some time, but it can have some real, very meaningful effects in your brain and how you're going to function. So I really hope you can can do that. Okay. Now, is, All right, thank you so much. Okay, we can stop there if you'd like, but I was just wondering, you know, trying to just see what's going on in your life in general, um, because I, I get the feeling in talking to you, there is kind of a nervousness or anxiety that you maybe have in general. Is that something you deal with overall, uh, an anxiety about lots of things? I think yes. Um Specifically, recently, I feel that I want to try to do something. I can't really focus on that one task, and I want to do everything all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I sometimes can't get enough sleep, and sometimes thinking about the future worries me, too. I'm not sure if these are all related related to anxiety or not. Sure. But. Yeah, well, I mean, that all sounds like anxiety. Of course, everyone's going to think about some of those things. It depends on the degree you're worrying about them and how much it's affecting you. Um, what is going on in your life right now? Um, well, right now I'm going through a big change. Um, I actually, this is not so important, but um, I'm literally starting over in my education. Mm-hmm. And um, there were a lot of hard steps to take and, you know, make so many sacrifices. I've, I've eventually made it but um it was so stressful Hmm. okay well good for you i'm I'm glad if it especially if it was changing to something that you really wanted to study in a career you want good for you it's not easy to make that change so i'm glad you did that but i think it's important for you to, to focus on taking care of yourself emotionally and mentally too and so i would say go to therapy and not necessarily you, you know, see if they want to recommend medication, but if you see a therapist, they themselves can't prescribe it. A psychiatrist can do that, but not a, a therapist or psychologist. And be ready to go for a while, because I think it's something that you could benefit from. Okay. Yeah, because it just seems in how you're talking that there's a lot. When I asked you about what's gone on in your past, it was almost like you were saying, which bad thing do you want me to tell you about? Well, the problem is that when I grew up, I grew up in a family that they didn't let me to feel any pain. Hmm. And then when I stepped into the real world, I was like, okay, there's so many things that hurt. Mm-hmm. And they literally break me down. Hmm. Now, when you say they didn't let you experience anything painful, you mean 
they protected you from them or also they didn't let you talk about them if something did bother you? Um, they protected me from it. Like, for example, if somebody died in the family, I didn't even know about it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, as simple as that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, I say unfortunate because I see that a lot, and I think a lot of times parents, they think the kids can't handle something, but they take away the opportunity for the child to experience some things that might actually let them grow um, just to protect them. And so just avoiding pain is not really a good philosophy for life because life involves pain and challenges and hardships. And maybe that's what you feel you're experiencing is when you got out into the real world, you were not, you didn't feel quite prepared or those challenges really knocked you down um, because you hadn't experienced much of that. So that, that can be tough to, to, to overcome that. Usually in those kinds of families, the way you described it, they also tend to promote the idea of denying your feelings um, because they don't want mm-hmm. you to be sad. So my guess would be you have some of that in you too, of kind of trying to put your feelings away or not acknowledge your feelings. And because of that, going to therapy might seem even scarier for you because a big part of therapy is connecting and talking about and exploring your feelings. And maybe that's something that's kind of foreign for you or something that you've always felt or considered as bad or not good or not right to do and so it's not going to be something i'd expect you to want to do or to really embrace okay yeah so i was even not so close with my family either i was always trying to deal deal with things on my own Mm -hmm. and never express myself yeah so that's what i'm talking about and when you that's the unfortunate thing when families they give this idea that being sad or mad is bad then whenever you feel those things, you feel like I have to deal with them on my own because I'm not going to, if I share them with you, you're not going to like it. Or first of all, you're not going to help me, but also you might judge me for it. So I have to hold on to those feelings and deal with them on my own. That's why I always tell parents, you're not supposed to make your kids happy or they're not supposed to avoid sadness. You have to be there for them, whatever they're feeling and show them that whatever they feel is okay. But it seems like you didn't get that message. And I think it's still something you carry with you. And there's a loneliness that comes with that, too. Yeah, I actually decided to live alone after, like, for a couple of years as well. Uh-huh. Because I felt more comfortable doing that. I can be happy whenever I want to be happy, and I can be sad whenever I can be yeah. sad. Yeah, that's that's the thing, having that space. It's unfortunate you had to literally create physical space, a distance, to have that space, but we should have that space to feel whatever we're feeling. But it seems like you didn't get that. And my guess would be that as much as you're trying to distance yourself from their, literally, but also their way of thinking that you should be able to be sad if you want to be sad, it's probably something that you carry with you too, because we usually take our parents' mindset and internalize it at some level. And so I would highly recommend therapy. There seems to be, you know, we have about a minute left before I have to get off the air or else I'd want to talk more with you. But I just really highly would recommend therapy for you because it seems like there's a lot for you to work out from your past. And it could even help with this issue of being startled easily. I would again recommend seeing a doctor for a routine checkup and you can ask about your thyroids and talk about this this issue and see if they have any idea about what it could be, but then start therapy and be ready to commit six months, more than six months to it. You know, a few times is really just uh, getting started and really not even starting the process really. So go for a while and see what you can do. And hopefully it helps with this, but also with other things you might be dealing with. 
Okay, thank you so much sure. for your time. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Wish you all the best. Thank you. You right, too. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Rahman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day.